good evening or good morning. It depends on where you may be watching from. I know we have many people from um, over in the Philippines and that part of the world that watch us. And so it's morning there. So if you're starting your Wednesday, good morning to you. And I believe you're going to have a great, great day. To you here in the States or it's on our time zone or close by, good evening. And I pray tonight will be a night that your heart will be flooded with the joy of the Lord. I have a very, very exciting guest this evening. And we're going to be talking about the ministry of Catherine Kuhlman. And what we're going to be talking about is some of her sermons and messages that she preached. And they, they were lost. No one ever knew where those messages were except two people. And so my guest is going to be talking about that this evening. So you want to hear about the life and ministry of Catherine Kuhlman, a woman that was mightily anointed of God, used of God. Everywhere she went, there were signs, wonders, miracles, and healings taking place in her ministry. So I, I just ask you tonight to open your heart, open your mind, and you that's watching this on Facebook, why don't you share this on your page? If you on Facebook that will share this, I know you will be a blessing to people as they hear the message that we're going to be talking about this evening. And of course, you that are watching us on all of the other apps. I can't see you. I can't talk to you. But you can send us emails and you can communicate with us through our website. But we're going to go to prayer right now. Uh, just before we do, I want to say hello to Brother Cook. Bless you, Brother Cook or Pastor Cook over in Kingsport, Tennessee. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in July. And then I just saw Buddy Williams, Pastor Buddy Williams from down in Georgia. You know, someday I'm, I'm going to be coming to Warner Rock. Robbins, Georgia, in October. And I don't know, buddy, how far you are from Warner Robbins, but maybe we could connect there because it's been over 40 years since I've seen you. And John Pearson from right around Kingsport, Tennessee, bless you. I got your text just before service, and so I look forward to talking to you and, and um, just asking God to bless you in a very, very special way. Anyway, all of you that are watching, we're just so glad to have you here. Uh, you're from Oak Grove, Kentucky. You're usually in Minnesota or Winnipeg, uh, but you're from Kentucky tonight. So I don't know what's going on in Kentucky. And hi, Shirley uh, Fuller from over in Arkansas. Anyway, I could keep going on acknowledging all of our wonderful friends and people that's viewing with us. Thank you for watching. And I know others will be coming on with us in a little while. And you on uh, Lightcast, bless you. And Flame, it's so good to see you. And I just praise God for you every day and what God has done in your life. So we're going to go to prayer so we can get right in with my guest talking to you about the ministry of Catherine Kuhlman and what we believe is going to continue and take place. We don't believe that signs, wonders, and miracles are over because Catherine Kuhlman went to heaven. We believe God wants to raise up others like Catherine Kuhlman. They're not going to be her. They won't have her anointing, but they'll have the same power, the same Holy Spirit, the same gifts of the Holy Ghost to minister. So Father, we come to you and thank you for every person that is viewing, the ones that will even view this at a later time. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you will anoint their minds, their thoughts, their lives, open their hearts, help them to lay everything aside for these next few minutes. 
and just press into your goodness like the little woman with an issue of blood as she said if I could just touch the hem of his garment I know I'll be healed I know I'll be made well so father we're pressing in tonight we're believing for a supernatural anointing for you to touch the hearts and lives of people for healings to take place for relationships to be healed God we're just believing for good things to take place tonight in Jesus mighty name amen and amen well God bless you so much and it's good to uh, be here this evening with my guest and uh, my guest is Shane Philpot. you know I met him a few months ago over in Gatlinburg Tennessee we were in a uh, conference with uh, uh, Pastor Mark Barkley, another great man of God, and we briefly spoke and talked, but he came by here and, and uh, is here in Dallas for a while, and he pastors, uh, I believe it is a Christian Fellowship Church in Mason City, Iowa. I was looking on the map today. I've never been to Mason City, Iowa, so I was looking on the map today to see where it was. I've been to Des Moines, but I've never been to Mason City. But anyway, he pastored a church, started a church in 1999, um, and he is just an awesome communicator, a passionate communicator of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went to Ramah in Tulsa, Oklahoma, studied there, and, and I'm sure when he come out, I'm sure he was fired up and ready to go. But anyway, I want to introduce to you my guest tonight, Pastor Shane Philpott. How are you doing, Pastor? Oh, good, 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 and it's so good to have you here with us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Wow. Man, I am excited about tonight. I just believe that you're going to share some things with our guests that Amen. will uh, uh, minister to them in a very special way. And we probably got some young people that doesn't, they don't know who Catherine Kuhlman was. Sure. But uh, we hope that they will stay tuned long enough so that they can find out about this woman. So anyway, you went to Mason City, uh, Iowa. That's kind of in the middle of the state, is it? Or is uh, it? Actually, north central. So it's about two hours north of Des Moines, the capital. North, okay. Before we get into Catherine Kuhlman, you know, um, uh, we went to lunch together here not long ago, and um, you began to talk to me about your family, and you told me you had nine children. We do. It's, it's a big family. It's a big family. Well, you know, we had, my, my, I had seven brothers and sisters, and uh, so ours was quite busy, and so uh, tell me, tell me about this. I mean, I, I know you told me personally about it, but tell our audience here just briefly before we get into your sure, story. Sure. Well, my wife and I, we met back in, uh, when I got out of Bible college in 1990 and so fell in love, of course, and, uh, started our family. We have a biological son and daughter. He's 20 and she's 18. But then we began to adopt children from China and, uh, we did that seven different times. And so we have children all the way from age 15 down to age 10. Our house is full, and uh, I kind of jokingly say to people now, everything in my house is made in China. So we've got some <laughs> wonderful kids and a wonderful family. My wonderful wife of 27 years, and they're watching tonight. So I uh, give them a shout out to all of my family and sons and daughters and my wife. We love you guys. 
But we're glad to be here with you tonight, Pastor Don. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, I want to hear more about this, and let me just acknowledge a few more people here. Darlene from over in uh, Mississippi, Darlene Lewis, and then Brenda Stewart from Scottsdale, Alabama. Bless you, Brenda. It's so good uh, to know that you're watching this evening. I hope you'll stay tuned. Uh, you know a lot about the ministry yourself. Anyway, and then we have uh, Jeremy from Mason City, Iowa. I nice. guess I guess you know who Jeremy is. Uh, probably Jeremy that goes to my church. I've got a yes. couple of Jeremys there, but it's one of the two. Jeremy B uh, Bugenhagen. Big Bugenhagen. Uh, he's a good guy. Well, he's watching right now. Yeah, I'll pay him $10 when I get back for tuning into the show. So. Oh, I don't blame you. I'd give him 20 <laughs> or so, whatever. Anyway, uh, we're so glad to have everyone here. But, um, you know, um, the reason I... Uh, asked Shane to be on and talk about this particular subject was I knew about Catherine Kuhlman's ministry. I only saw her briefly one time. Uh, our ministry, you know, we were busy traveling back in those days as well and doing crusades in many parts of the United States and the world. And of course, I was a much younger man when she was still alive. And uh, I think she passed in 1976. 76, that's correct. Um, but anyway, I, the, the last time that I, or the only time that I saw her was in the 60s. And I only got to see her in one encounter. But uh, she was a mighty woman of God. Now, now you went to, um, I guess you were from Iowa. You went to Bible school and then... Yes. I gra graduated in 1987 from high school and uh, then went to school for graphic design for a year and editing and all of that, and then went to Tulsa from 88 to 90 where I was a graduate, a student of Rhema, Kenneth Hagin Ministries. Graduated in 1990 and then- Well, why uh, did you go to Rhema? Why did you go to Rhema? You know, uh, that's an interesting story. Uh, I was actually doing extremely well in the occupation I was in and I was on the fast track to be a partner. I was living and going to school down in Des Moines, Iowa and looking forward to everything that I was a Christian, but not for a long couple years, looking forward to what God was doing there. But one day uh, the pastor came to my house. I was back home in Hampton with my family and he brought over a brochure. Uh, it was called Get Acquainted with Rhema Weekend. And so I went down to it and uh, went there in April of 88. And the moment I stepped on the campus, I mean, I just knew. I mean, it just, it ruined my whole life. <laughs> it ruined everything. I mean, my job, my school, everything was done and I headed out the door and uh, I went down there, you know. So uh, for those of you that might be following God today, he will interrupt your life and he'll do things that you don't expect, sometimes take you off into a detour, but I'm still on that detour. And so that's where I went, graduated there in 1990, went down there, I was 18 years old. Oh, wow. And so uh, I immediately entered into the ministry, began preaching and served uh, in the helps ministries, traveling uh, ministry, traveled and did conferences and preached and all of that stuff, served as an associate pastor, and then we pioneered our own church in uh, September of 1993. So we just celebrated 25 great years at our church, and God's been good to us. Wow. Well, I went to your website today, and I looked at your beautiful church, and you guys have done a, a great job there. I saw your sanctuary, your youth, and your children's ministry. I just did a wonderful job well, there. Well, you know, you're only as good as all those that God sends with you, and so I've had incredible helpers, and I've got a great wife, and, and just people have gotten behind me and helped me and, and put their backs into it 
and we've done something pretty great there. Well, why Mason City? Why Mason City, uh, Iowa? Well, actually, I was born in Hampton, Iowa, which is a small town. I'm surprised you if you haven't heard of it. It's only about 4,000 people, about a half an hour south of Mason City. And so I uh, traveled out of uh, Hampton to originally go down to Tulsa. So probably wouldn't have gone back there. But uh, we went back there. My wife and I got married, and we began to serve in our local church there. But uh, as God would have it, a minister had moved from California, and he was going to pioneer a church in Mason City. And that was the biggest city there was in the region. And so it was a city of about 30,000 people. So we went up to help him pioneer his church and started out with him. He's no longer there. He's moved on and pastors somewhere else. But we started there as an associate pastor, helped him build his church. And that's where we learned how to build and put up walls and sheetrock and paint and do everything that needs to be done to, you know, you kind of do everything when you're at first, you know, you wash the cars and put gas in the tank and walk the dogs and <laughs> wash the windows. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I always joke with people when I first started as a pastor, I would pray for them and then catch them. You kind of did it both. Yeah. But uh, despise not the day of small beginnings. Well, I've been there and done that. You know, I've, uh, I've washed the bathrooms. Uh, you know, I've swept the church. I've vacuumed the church. I've done all of that, you know. Yes. But you know what? Uh, looking back, some of those things um, is actually what made me the person I became oh, was um, because of starting out and learning to live by faith and learning to, to you know, you didn't have everything handed to you. You just had to pray and you had to believe God. Absolutely. Well, you know, you went to Mason City. Uh, well, hello, Lois. It's good to see you from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I'm glad you're watching. So you must have your iPad and your big 75-inch TV home, too. Your big 75-inch TV, you're watching us on Roku, and then you're watching us on your iPad so you could say hello. Bless you, dear. We love you. Anyway, if Sharon was here, she would say hello. And so she's probably going to be watching here in a little bit. Uh, but anyway, uh, let me get back to where we were, where I wanted to go with you, Shane. You, you pastored this church, and all at once you got interested in Catherine Coleman. Now, uh, you know, what, what's, what was this all about? Well, you know, I didn't know that... I did not know that she had ever even been near Mason City, Iowa. So we started the church in 1993, and I know we were in our first building. That was probably till about 96 when we moved to our second building, and now we're in our third. In our first building one day, a couple came into the church one day, and they said, did you ever heard of Catherine Coleman? Of course I had. That was a class we took in Bible college. We studied some of the faith pioneers and days of revival and that type of thing. And they had an old newspaper clipping. And they handed it to me, and it was about her ministering in Mason City, Iowa, in approximately 1938. <laughs> so, you know, I was born in 43, and then when you talk about 1938, and they were already in ministry in 1938. Yes. yes. Wow. It was crazy. And, and she had been ministering there, uh, it, actually in a series of meetings. It was a six-week series of meetings in 1938. And uh, they gave me the article to keep, and I was amazed. I didn't know she had been there. I was pretty... I felt pretty honored and privileged that she had been to our city, you know, because so many cities had enjoyed her ministry and been blessed by her ministry. And so I knew of that. I kind of tucked that away. But I had no idea that she pioneered and pastored a church there, the, the events surrounding her coming there and the events surrounding her leaving there. I had no idea of any of those. 
And so, you know, just kind of tucked it away. I had gotten, uh, remember Jamie Buckingham, I who, do. who was an, a prolific author, and he wrote the book about her called Daughter of Destiny. I, I remember somebody had given me her book, and I read about that. And there was a chapter in there, it was called The Backside of the Desert, and it talked about some of the time she was in Mason City and, and what had happened there. And I was like, this, I didn't know anything about this because it looked like there had been an extremely tumultuous, violent severing of, of that ministry from Mason City. I knew nothing about any of that. And so it was all just kind of in that book for a number of years. And I would say it was probably about 2005, 2006. Uh, it was actually a supernatural event that took place in our church that, uh, that led me down this path. And, and I'll tell you about it. Tell me about the supernatural event. I, I, that's what I, I, I love to hear about when God does something supernatural. It's almost like God takes it away from yes. you and, and, and he just starts doing things that, that's just way beyond your ability. That's what happened with us. We were having a Wednesday night service, Pastor, and I mean, it was just one of these services. Um, I mean, I don't want to call it a common service, but you know what I mean. Sure. It's just a standard midweek service. That particular night, we began to worship, and people were praying, and we just opened the altar up, and this happens commonly in our church. Just let the Holy Spirit take over and go whatever way he wants to go. So people were kneeling around the altar, and we maybe had 100, I don't know, 150 people there that night, and we were worshiping and singing, and and I was up on the stage just kind of kind of directing the affairs of everything, having the band sing and do this and do that. And we began to all just pray in the spirit and everything. And, and as this is going on for a while, they began, I began to feel that common, you know, mm. there, there's a prophetic word rising up in my heart. Mm. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but I, it, it, it kind of had this epic feeling about it. It just felt big. I didn't know what it was. And this went on for a good 20, 30 minutes. And so um, as we were praying, we coming to the end of the service, and I said, you know what, everybody? I said, I just need to release this. I said, I have this prophetic word for, for our church tonight. And I just began to release it and speak it out, you know, about things God wanted to restore in the city, things he wanted to restore in the heartland. Now, you were prophesying, is I that right? I was prophesying this, yes. And all at once, I mean, just, just, just. Was this near the end of the service? Or? Yeah, probably maybe 15 minutes from the end. We're kind of winding down at that point. We had an hour-long service. And, but this all began to come out just like a gusher, mm. you know. Oh, I love this. And, I and love this. Wow. I just began to speak this and speak this and speak this, you know, and it, and it wow. began to come out. And I didn't, I truly understood maybe half of it. I, I understood how God's a restore and God wants to make things right. And all of that I was familiar with. But the end of the prophetic word, all of a sudden, it just shifted gears, and the Lord said, He said, I'm going to restore in the city what was robbed 70 years ago. Wow. And then the Word said, it says, as it was in the days of Daniel, so shall it be in the days of Christian Fellowship Church. And, uh, I mean, I'm speaking this out, and even as I'm speaking it, I mean, I'm thinking, what am I saying? This is like... This is very exact and specific numbers here. I knew nothing about what was coming out of my mouth. And so that particular prophecy ended, the service ended. I walked straight off the stage and went right back into my office because I quite honestly did not know where this had come from, where this was going, what it meant. I knew people in the sanctuary were going to be waiting for me saying, Pastor, what does that prophecy mean? And so I didn't even go out to the sanctuary that night. I just wanted to be able to go back and, and uh, just kind of meditate it around. But... I didn't really know where to go, but as I was leaving the office that night, my bookshelf 
right by my door, I glanced at it and I saw Jamie Buckingham's book. And it just like leapt out at me. And so I took the book home that night. And I just started flipping through it in the next couple of days and I stumbled on that, that chapter again about her time in Mason City. And so all of a sudden it's like, I had known she had ministered there, Pastor, you know, decades ago. But this was, so this would have been in about uh, 2005, 2006. And I realized that she had left there in 39. I realized we were coming up on 70 years. Wow. And uh, I cannot describe to you what that felt like. I was like, does this have something to do with Catherine Coleman? And so I, pur I purposed in my heart to figure it out. You know, I wanted to figure out what this meant. Went back and, of course, studied, you know, the writings of Daniel and Jeremiah, talking right. about the restitution of Jerusalem and how all of that happened. And the thing that really got me was how Daniel, it says he went back and he studied the writings of Jeremiah and he began to see this word about 70 years coming to pass. And so it said he studied the historical books. So I thought, well, there's no better place for me to start than to study the historical books. And so I went to our library and I spent the next four months, I was up there every day, every morning for three or four hours a morning. Because you, you can't check out those historical documents. You have to stay there and study them. And I mean, I bet I went through four years of newspapers and archives and just everything to put together the story of what happened to Catherine Coleman and her church in Mason City, Iowa. Wow. Well, you know, I want to go back, first of all, to the Wednesday night mm -hmm. when the Holy Spirit came on you mm -hmm. and you began to prophesy. And then God said out of your mouth that he's going to do in the city uh, what happened or, or finish, maybe, what was the exact words? Yes, finish, correct. That God was going to finish what he started 70 years ago. You know, uh, that, that's so powerful. And um, I think today many people in our, our churches have given up on the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of discerning of spirits, and any of the nine gifts of the spirits. And so I hunger, and one of the reasons I, I, I wanted you here this evening um, can, can uh, uh, Danielle, you just show a picture of the book there real quick that, that we're going to get into this. If you can show a picture of the book. Um, that's the two books that Shane has, Pastor Shane has written. Uh, and the, the one book, Catherine Kuhlman, The Radio Chapel Years. Uh, this is what you're talking about. And um, when I started reading this book, Shane, mm -hmm. I, I could hardly put it down because it was so much in here that I had no clue sure. about Catherine Kuhlman. But um, you said you went to the library and you started studying because of a prophetic word that God gave you. Yes, sir. Now, folks, I want to just stop and say, you may have had a prophetic word in your life, and you, you may have had someone that's really anointed of God, and not something, not something flaky, but something real that was spoken over you. You know, in my younger years, you know, I started preaching when I was 15 years of age. And I had a lot of prophecies in my life, but, you know, I, I would write these prophecies down and keep record of them because I knew the Lord had to help me make them come to pass. Well, Pastor uh, Philpott here is saying that God gave him a genuine supernatural word 
that he was going to restore or bring back what had happened 70 years ago. So what was this searching? Why, why this insatious crave to search for day after day? Well, I mean, up until that point, you know, as I said, I had known she had been there. But when God lights it, so there's a difference between it being there dormant in your spirit, and then, there's a, then when God lights it, then all of a sudden things take off. And so when he lit that inside of me, I mean, there was, it was like a powder keg. It went off. There was nothing I thought about. There was nothing I could focus on. I mean, if my wife was here tonight, she could share about how I was just, I was like a man on a mission. This is all I did. This is all I went after. I knew there was something inside of me. There was this, there was this like a cavern inside of me. I knew I had to fill with this information and put this whole story together. I'll, I'll say this, if, if I can, to the, to the viewers tonight. It's so important, something, Pastor, that you said. I was born again in my teenage years and went to Rhema, went to Bible college at the age of 18, graduated at 20, so that was in 1990. Pioneered our church in 93, traveled and continued to travel and minister. Went from our first building into our second building into our third building. And it wasn't until the fall of 2005. So, Pastor, we're talking... 15 years of serving God now, 15 maybe plus years of serving God. It wasn't until that service that night that not only did I receive the direction and the information about Ms. Coleman's ministry, but that was the night I received the mandate for my personal ministry and, my, and, and what God was going to use me for. And so uh, part of that prophecy, Pastor, that night that came forth when the Lord was speaking is he spoke directly to me and it was, it was kind of like a... It was like a third-person situation mm. going on. And the Lord said to me, he said, he said, he said Pastor Shane, he said, so I'm speaking to myself as this is happening. You know, the Bible says to sing to ourselves in oh, yes, it Psalms does. and hymns. Yes, the Bible does. talks about prophesying and interpreting yes, our does. own tongues and getting interpretation. So I'm speaking that out that night, and the Lord said to me, he said, to do things that were left undone, to say things that were left unsaid, to go to places wow. that have been not gone to, and he said to finish what had been left unfinished. And so for the viewer tonight, just a real quick side road here. Don't give up mm. after one year or three years or five years or ten years. I was faithfully serving God for a decade and a half until God really opened up those doors into my heart and gave me that mandate into my life. And really it wasn't only until that happened that new levels of God began to open into my life. And the Catherine Coleman story and all that God did through that you know, Pastor, it really is interesting to me. It's like the Lord used that story to validate what he commissioned me to do. Wow. Because God's still commissioning preachers today. He is. He, he is. is. And they're out there even now watching tonight in Bible colleges. You know them. I know that he's commissioning them sure. to carry out his great word. Yes. Uh, matter of fact, we got Rosalind uh, Rush saying hello to you. <laughs> uh, and then I see a number of people here that I know. And Pastor Cliff Cook says, I had one back in the late 80s still walking it through and seeing what God has and is doing. So, yes. you know, one, one word from God yes. or one supernatural experience, one touch from God can change the whole direction of our life and you know or we could call it encounters right. whichever one you want to call it and uh, I can look back in my life and talk about encounters and and I'm holding these two books that you had and one of these books is prophetic messages for the end time and these are 
um, the um, the sermons. There's sermons in these books yes. that probably nobody else has. Correct. Well, take me a little further in the journey as we go, because I, I want to keep coming back to the supernatural thing that happened to you, because these books came out of that, and your, your church continued out of that. And I think many times people have an event or an encounter with God, and they let it just be that encounter. But God wants that encounter to take us into the place he, he has called us to be. Right. And so obviously when you went to the library, and as I was reading that in this particular book right here, as I was reading this, how you would sit there for hours and you would look through, I believe they called it microfish or right. something. Yes. Back in those days, I yes. get, I'm sure, do they have something any modern yet? Or? Actually, most of, of the most is modernized today on computer, but th those are so old, they were on the microfiche. And so that's why you had to go into a special research area to just view the microfiche. So I would sit here and have to roll these microfiche oh my films through the magnifier and look at every new, I, I literally scanned thousands and thousands and thousands of days of newspapers, sometimes in the third or fourth or fifth page to find the story and the sermons that well, they Well, when preached. you would start looking at some of these stories, you know, I've read them and I understand, and I, I had no idea of any of this happened, and it was some um, very heartbreaking, very heartbreaking things that, that happened to Catherine Kuhlman in Mason City, Iowa. Well, when you were scanning those articles and reading them, and I guess taking notes or pictures or what taking did you, notes yes taking notes um, what did that do for you when you would read one of those articles what would it do for you well you know the first thing that happened was you're introduced to what really went on and so you you there's because there was an absence of what happened at that time in her life because she went through a time where literally her ministry almost ended and so that's, that's well known, you know, that Catherine had gone through this time. She had been married. Her and the pastor co-pastored the church. They were married some nine or ten years. A lot of people don't know that or they don't want to believe it about her. But she went through many of the same, you know, struggles and pitfalls that Christians do today. And so it almost cost her her ministry. And so people know about that particular part of her life. They know that she almost lost her ministry. And some people know about the divorce that she suffered and what they went through. But... What was not known, Pastor, up to that time was what happened in Mason City with the church they pioneered. What, what took that down? And so there was an adversary that rose up against that church. They pioneered a church together by the name of Radio Chapel. The reason it was called Radio Chapel was in that day, radio was everywhere. That's how, you know, communication, mass communication took place was by radio. And so they were actually on the radio three times a day, six days a week in Mason City. And so they had a wonderful radio outreach all through northern Iowa and southern Minnesota. Well, now, from what I read in your book, they started out in a tent. Is that right? Yes, sir. Now, a tent in Iowa? <laughs> uh, how long were they in that tent? Six weeks. Six weeks in the tent. Yes. And then he started to build this, this modern building. Now, is that building still there? The building is still there to this day. And what's amazing is, and you'll like this, this is a little ahead of ourselves, but... The, the show, a show that we broadcast called Faith in Action, we ran this show for four years, we contracted with CBS to do it. That show that we aired actually was, so that building today is the CBS television station. Oh my goodness. So we 
produced a program, the only one of its ever kind that's ever been produced, and we broadcast that Christian TV station of our church services out of her building. Mm. And it happened 70 years later. Wow. It was an amazing turn of events. Well, let me go back now. And when you, when you did this research and you begin to find out about Catherine Kuhlman and the ministry and all of the good and, mm -hmm. and some of the things that were not good. Right. Uh, what happened uh, to you because you, you, there's, there, there was lost sermons that nobody had contact with and now these sermons came into your possessions. How, tell me how that happened. Let me tell you the story. It's amazing. And it's actually bittersweet. It's actually sad what happened. But the church, uh, needless to say, the church exploded. So she was, known as, she was known as the girl evangelist. In that day, it was very, uh, uh, very common to have nicknames. Uh, ministers had nicknames. So you would have child evangelist, the girl evangelist. Burroughs Waltrip, her husband, he was known as the Louisiana Pulpiteer. Yes. So they had all these different names. And so the two of them came together, fell in love, got engaged and married. They were married in Mason City, Iowa. The plan was for her to travel to Boulder to her church there and then him to travel out of there nationally. They were very, very well known. They preached every weekend, sometimes multiple times a week in that day. So the church they had here was their center base of ministry. Church was was exceptionally well received. Within six months, Pastor, they were running a thousand people a night. It, oh my. It, it really is the it really is the United States' first documented megachurch. Now, is. now that was like they they had church six nights a six week. Six nights a week and three services on Sunday. Oh my goodness! Three wow. services on Sunday, and they were averaging a thousand people a service. <laughs> Well, I believe so, I read in there, too, that sometimes maybe the services would go like till midnight. Twelve, one in the morning. And she would come out and Burroughs would come out and they would pray over everybody, minister over everybody. It was an amazing, just dynamic duel. And, of course, they flowed in the gifts of the Spirit. That was relatively new in that day after the Azusa Street outpouring. Still, prior to the healing revivals and the tent meetings of the 40s and 50s. So they were in this very interesting time that there was kind of a silent time over her life but of course anything that's successful is bound to be attacked and that's what happened and churches in the city began to rise up against the ministry various churches began to come together and began to exclude them from ministerial functions then the government of the city got involved and they began to uh, they be the sheriff began to get involved and the police department and different attorneys began to get involved and they started examining the finances this was a church in its infancy pastor this is churches going six seven eight months and already it's under this withering attack and what really brought the church down was they had a they had a large donation from a a man that lived in another town by the name of sheffield iowa and this man was attending their church. He gave a donation to help them build their facility that's still there today. When his family found out he gave this donation, his family went to the court system. They had him pronounced almost insane of an unfit mind. And then they went in and they sued the church on his behalf while he still was attending the church. Wow. It was an amazing, 
uh, course of events. Well, I thought people were mean today, but, uh, uh, but this was back in 1938. This is 38 and 39. And so because uh, a man gave, I think it was like, uh, did you say? Yeah, $2,100, something like that. $2,100 he gave and his family approved try, uh, or took him to the court and said that he didn't have a sound mind because right. he gave that money to because God. Because he gave that money to God. Wow. And he even had a sermon. There was even a sermon where this man, they invited this man to speak and I have that and part of it's in the book where he speaks from the pulpit about his family and what they're doing to this ministry and he talks about it he's, I read that he says this is the work of the enemy this is Satan trying to stop a God thing and you know it's amazing after the whole ministry was taken down it was six months after that his family had him pronounced of a sound mind again it was oh literally a specific tool wow. only for the purpose of bringing down this ministry wow. well i'll tell you as we sit here and talk um satan hates the full gospel hates it he hates any ministry that's really sound and solid and sincere and that operate under the supernatural power of god so satan he will attack ministries that, that are credible, have great integrity, which I believe these did from, because he, he said in your book, you said he examined our records, look at our records, we got nothing to hide. Yes. And um, so I, I just know that anytime there's a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost, every time there's a mighty move of God, Satan doesn't like it. So he's going to use whatever weapon he can to try and discourage and stop people. Anyway, they had this great move of God going on, and here you are all these years later, and you're researching, and, uh, and now in these two books, um, uh, if, if uh, Danielle, if you'll just put them up again, just briefly again, I want people to see the two books that has been uh, authored by uh, Pastor Shane. Um, and you did the first one, the, the, the one with her picture on it, the Radio Chapel Years, yes. and then you did the other one uh, at a later time, and it says the, the prophetic message is for the end time church. So what she prophesied back in the 30s, you're saying is still relevant for today. I believe it's more than relevant today. And let me tell you why. So, and, well, let me f answer your first question. How did I get these sermons? Yes, how did you get so the sermons? The, the church went, and, and we'll not get into the whole story, but it was horrific. She cried. I mean, there's newspaper reporters were flocking to their services, mocking them, making fun of them. It was oh horrible. They actually, after Radio Chapel crumbled and collapsed, their entire Christmas party that year, the Chamber of Commerce Christmas party of the city of Mason City, the, the butt of their joke that year was Radio Chapel. It was, it was a horrific takedown of a godly ministry. She would cry on the stage and, and, and they, they, they left the town just in shame and heartbreak. But the night they left, the, so they had two ministers that were associate pastors, Keith and Mary Williams was their names. These were their associate pastors. They are the only pastors that Catherine Coleman ever ordained for ministry, ever. Keith and Mary Williams. And I have, the, I have the story of the ordination, and I put the story in there. And Burroughs Waltrip wanted her to do the ordination, and so she ordained them under the Fundamental Ministerial Association of America. I have his credentials today, Keith and Mary Williams' credentials. Wow. They were passed down to me through Keith and Mary. So she uh, ordained them for ministry. They're the only two individuals she ever ordained, laid her hands upon them. 
and um, charged them with the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. When they left Mason City, the night that they left to get on a train to go begin down south, they were going to start over and do evangelism down south. Before they left, they asked Keith and Mary to come to their room. See, back in that day, you wouldn't own homes per se when you just got married. You would own an apartment. And so they were in this apartment. And so they asked them to come. And so they came to this apartment and they Keith all and Mary, Keith, Keith and, and Mary. Mary Williams, yes, traveled to the apartment and, and as they were getting ready to leave the next day and say, and say their goodbyes. And so as they were getting ready to say goodbye, Catherine Coleman said, there's something that we want you to have wow. as, as our son and daughter in the faith. And she walked over to the credenza by the door. She brought out an old weathered Bible zipper. She opened it up and inside of there were her sermon outlines. Wow. And these weren't just from Mason City's time. These went back to Boulder, Colorado. So these are dated 1936 and 37, as well as 38 and 39. And they gave these sermon outlines to Reverend Keith and Mary Williams. And so Reverend Keith and Mary, they wept, they hugged one another, they prayed with one another, they charged them, because Keith and Mary were 21 and 20 years old, young in the ministry. And they never saw each other again. And so Keith and Mary began to move into the ministry. They moved to South Dakota. He eventually was called up. He served as a chaplain and did two tours of duty in the Korean War. Wow. After the Korean War, he traveled to the Philippines some 38 or 39 times. He started Bible colleges there. But he had packed away into his filing cabinet back in the 60s or in the late 50s during the Korean War these sermons. Well, fast forward to 2005, and I tracked them down. I, just, I honestly didn't know if they were still be alive or not. Well, how did you do that? I was meeting with the historian at the, li at, the, at the library one day, and I was talking, and he said, you know what, Shane? He said, this story has always interested us, and he walked over to a cabinet, and he reached on the top, and he goes, I put this phone number up there 20 years ago, and he said, I'm going to give it to you. And he handed me, I mean, this whole thing is wrapped in the miraculous. And I was You're serious. I said, well, this... Reverend Williams would be 90 years old today. I had no idea if he would be even around or not. And so I raced back to my office and called on the phone and a secretary answered and I said, is Keith Williams there? And she says, absolutely. And I said, you're wow. me. I said, well, my name is so-and-so. And I told her the story, the Reader's Digest version, a very short story. And, and he was in the background saying, who is that? Who is that? And, <laughs> He said, can he come here? So it was maybe a week later, I got in my car and I drove to... Wait just a minute now. Yeah. You were given a number. I was given a number. And that was 20 years. He it said had it been had been 20 years on top of a cabinet and he remembered it was there. Wow. And the number was still active. Wow. Well, you know, back in those days, I guess things didn't change as quickly as they do today. But still, 20 years was amazing to me. And then he found it and... That's how God united us. So you got us. in your car. Got in my car, drove in a 27 degree below day in January of 2006 to Watertown, South Dakota, out in the middle of nowhere to this little ministry Bible ground camp, walked up to the front door, went to knock on the door. I mean, I was nervous and I don't get nervous about much. I was nervous to meet this guy that Catherine Coleman had ordained. I went to knock on the door and the door whipped open, Pastor, and I didn't get to knock and he was weeping. Oh, wow. And he grabbed me and oh, began to weep. And he's holding well. me, and I'm just looking at him, and he's crying. He says, I have been waiting for you all these years. Wow. No one had ever met with him about Catherine Coleman. 
in all those years. Wow, I'm speechless when I hear you say I that. I spent 14 hours with them on that Saturday. They allowed me to record it all and we put it on DVD and everything. We recorded the entire interview, talked about the years of Catherine Coleman. Many of those stories they shared, I put in the book because they're so rich, you know. But that's how I came to have the sermon outlines. Mm. And uh, today, as you can imagine, they're just weathered and worn and well, tattered. Well, and tell me about that, because the, he, he didn't just say, hey, I, by the way, I, I got her some summary outlines I want to give to you. How did it We go? had actually been talking for about four or five hours. And uh, he, he immediately just brought me into his heart. His wife was a different story. She was kind of sitting there looking at me, and the secretary the same way. They kind of had that, you know, who is this guy? What's he doing here? And I didn't really know how it was going to go. But... Once we got to laughing and sharing our hearts, and I brought up with them all these photographs, and I brought up with them books, and they had no idea of Catherine's ministry, how expansive it had been. And so that's how that friendship began, and we became the best of friends for four or five years before he passed away. Well, how did the, how did the revelation of the sermons come to you? I, well, I can't describe what that was like. I mean, you mean, how did, he, how did I get them? He yeah, handed I mean, them you, to me. You, you said you were visiting four, five, six hours, and yes. then, then what happened? Well, he just got up, and so we were talking, and we're maybe five hours in, and he got up and walked across the side of the room, and he began to go through an old footlocker. And so I'm kind of talking to his wife and his secretary, and he's over there rooting through all this stuff, and his secretary went over and said, Keith, can I help you? Reverend Keith, can I help you? And he's like, I know what I'm looking for and he kept digging for stuff and he that's when he walked back and he opened it up and he began to cry again very sensitive very oh tender genuine man Wow! and he goes I want you to have these because he said you're in Mason City now he said these belong in Mason City I mean he laid those out in front of me I thought I was gonna faint no one had ever I contacted the Catherine Coleman Foundation the soonest any sermon outline they had was 1953 these predated her sermons by 12 to 15 years. Oh my goodness. No one has anything from Boulder, where she was at the, people, uh, the People's Tabernacle. Of anything Nothing. she had documented in a sermon you're talking about? Right. And so I had sermons from there on the end times, and then I had sermons from Mason City of hers as well. And so all of these, uh, I knew at some point in time, had to come out. Well, what were the main themes of her, her messages? End times. Really? It really was. And this is what was so amazing. Now, this to me. was in the 30s. <laughs> now, think about this. This was in the 30s, and you're telling me the main theme of her message was the end times. Yes, sir. Um, well, what was her concerns or <laughs> concerning the end times? So they had a series, and I mean, they, as all of them preached, so she had these outlines. They were called Revelation series, and they were 1 through 12. And they discussed all the whole book of Revelation, the catching of the way of the church, the seven churches, all of that. But uh, there was a particular message in there. And I had never read anything like this, Pastor. And it was called, We Must Be Prepared. And uh, I saw this message. She had preached now, this that message. That was the title of her message? That was the title of the message. And so on the back, in that day, uh, these preachers, when they preached on the back of their message, they would write the date in the city they preached that message in. So they would preach that message again. This message had been preached in Colorado, Sacramento, California, all over America, Madison, Wisconsin, wow. Chicago, Illinois, Mason City, Iowa. And not only had she preached it, and not only had her ministry team preached it, but then 
Keith Williams, you begin to see in his handwriting where he began, he preached her messages then all the way up till he went into the Korean War. So the back page is filled. This particular outline had dozens and dozens of dates and locations on it. And that stuck out to me. The other ones had maybe four or five. This one, dozens. And I began to read that outline, Pastor, and I'm telling you something. She had an insight into the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins that I had never seen. I had heard that preached, as I'm sure you have, sure. many, many times. Preached it myself many Preached times. it myself as well. But what was amazing was she began to break down what this meant with the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins and why the five wise were caught away with the bridegroom and the five unwise were not. Now we've heard all sorts of things on the oil and it represents the Holy Spirit and the lamps being lit represents the, the, Holy, you know, the fire of God and, and all of this. But she began to talk about one crucial verse. And it was, over in the, it was over in the Gospels when Jesus was teaching. And he began to talk about how they were unprepared. The, the, the unwise virgins, but the wise virgins were prepared. And the thing that Catherine so emphasized in this outline, and that I believe so is relevant, I said why, I believe it's more relevant for today than ever. The emphasis they had on this message is they traveled throughout America and held crusades and held revivals. The message they were pushing forth was this, and she said this. In fact, it's interesting, they had a series of messages they were working on they called the end game. And we've heard that word end game. In fact, right now there's a movie in theaters right now called the end game. It's a big comics movie right now. It's called wow. the end game. But even back in the 30s, they were using that term. I did not know that term was around since the 1800s. And the end game is actually a chess term. It's a term that's utilized on the chessboard, and it's when most of the pieces have been removed. And so you get down to where there's just a few moves left that would determine who the winner and who the loser is. And I, what I did not know is that when a chess game is in the end game, these are the most crucial moves being made on the board. One thing I did not know, because I'm not a chess player, was this, is that as, as a chess game is almost toward the end, as the pieces are removed, it strengthens the king. Hmm. I did not know that. So as the pieces are removed, the king gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Her ministry team, over 70 years ago, were putting together messages that they called the end game messages. Hmm. This was the premier message, and it was called, We Must Be Ready. And what they were emphasizing was this. Their concern was that there would be a generation on the earth, right before the return of the Lord, that half of the church would think they're ready. They would think they're prepared. They would think they're ready for the return of the Lord. And that half of those individuals mm. would not be ready. This was the emphasis of what they were trying to get across and what they were trying to push forward. And that, those messages were buried and lost for all those years. And I believe they needed to be brought forth for such a time as this. Well, when you tell me that, I become very somber with those words because when I look at the church today without being critical, yes, sir. my heart hurts because many of the churches today are, are performances. And I say this not, not to be critical, but they're rehearsed, they're planned. Sure. To the minute sure. and there's no room 
now I know some people would say I'm criticizing here, but I don't mean it that way. But there's no room for the movement of the Holy Ghost. And so what you were saying that Catherine Kuhlman was saying in this message about being prepared and talking about the five foolish and the five wise, the five wise were prepared for the bridegroom. Yes. So she was comparing that to half half of the church in these end times would think they're ready. Would think they're ready. So I, I said something in one of my messages recently. I said, you know, a lot of people have fire insurance, but they don't. You know, there's a difference in Jesus being Savior and Lord. Yes. He, he, he's Savior to some people. Well, He is my Savior, but He's my Lord because I put Him first in my life. I try every day to put Him first in my life. And so... To me, right now, Pastor Shane, um, my heart aches. My heart aches when I look at the church today as a whole because uh, you and I were just discussing before we come on the air. The church is so much different it is. than it was 20 years ago. It's, 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 and it's changing even faster day by day. And so many of the things that you mentioned, you know, I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to Timothy that in the last days, one of the crucial trademarks of the last days church would be men that were lovers of their own selves. And this is my concern as well, Pastor. They would be lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God's, and that rather than lovers of God, and that we would see develop under our very noses placebo churches, churches that are placebo in nature. They look, they feel, they might taste, but there but there is no power in that, it, that it's powerless, it's an Ichabod church, there's no power in that, and that we, we, we do have a situation where, and this, is, this has always fascinated me, is that both the five and wise foolish virgins, they were all virgins, it's interesting that all of them were clean, I've, I always find some interesting things in this every time I read it, they were all clean, none of them had known a man, they were all clean, they were all promised to the Lord. Another interesting point is they all began to sleep. Mm. That's all of us. That's mm. every one of us. The mm. days that we're in, Paul told us, all mm. of us, wake mm. up. Wake wow. up from our drowsiness. So we're all, we all try to be pure and chaste. We all try to be holy. We all try to uh, uh, be ready for him. We all, but we all fall asleep. And we all at times fall asleep and we all become drowsy in our Christianity. But what's amazing to me was this, is that when the shout of the bridegroom came, and I cannot emphasize this enough to your viewers, that when that shout came, and it says, and they all awoke, they all woke up, the tragedy was, was that five of them had brought along, they all had oil. That's what's amazing to me. They all had oil. But five had brought along an additional surplus, and these five had not. And what's so tragic is the five unwise half of the church said to the other half, give us of your oil. This always bothered me because Jesus taught us what? He taught us to give. If a man wants your cloak, give him your shirt also. If he says go a mile, go two miles. We've always heard this. But yet this particular part of scripture, and Catherine broke this down in her message. She said, wait, wasn't it Jesus that said give? Wasn't it Jesus said to do this and give that and lay down your life and all of those things? He that's the last shall be first. But isn't it interesting, in this parable, Jesus said that the wise version said, we cannot give to you or else there won't be enough for us. And then Catherine made this statement that forever impacted my life in that sermon. 
She said, we cannot give others our preparedness. Wow. You cannot prepare mm. for someone else. Mm. You can give them food, you can give them money, you can give them a car ride, but you cannot give them your preparedness. And we have today a large sector of Christianity, Pastor, and you know it, they are not prepared. When you, when you found that particular message that you're expounding on right now, was, was that one of the most powerful of her messages, would you say? To me it was, and they're also powerful. There's messages in there about how Methuselah walked with God. She talks about health and longevity. There's messages in there about losing loved ones. There's, there's incredible messages that cover the scope of man's experiences. But that particular one as a pastor, as a pastor, even more so than the sermons on the book of Revelation, that one particularly stuck out to me because being a pastor for 28 years and you've been in the ministry, what, 50, 60 years? 60 years. 60 years. We're, we're veterans at this now. And we now know that much of the church is unprepared. And when that hit my heart and when I woke up to that and I realized, because I don't think I ever really understood it to the point I understand it today. I always preached the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. I, over, I always understood it to a certain extent. But when she said, there's no, way, there's no way, I can't share my preparedness. Husbands, wives, you can't share your preparedness with your spouses. You can't, share, you can't prepare for your children. You, you just can't. Mm. They have to prepare for themselves. And so one of the dangers we have in today's church is, is that a lot of people have been told that we don't need to prepare. You know, we have churches that don't talk about hell anymore. They don't talk about the blood of Christ anymore. The necessity to crucify the flesh, deny ourselves. These are all a part of the preparation process for heaven. Wow. Yeah. Again, I, I'm sitting here thinking about the fact that you just mentioned the five wives and the five foolish that they carried extra oil with them and they was prepared and when the other ones didn't, you've actually said some things about, and I, I, I read part of that in there, um, but, you know, the, we teach giving and giving and giving, and, sure. and, and I've all, I often wondered about that myself. Why couldn't they give them? Yeah. Uh, but you just answered the question, you can't give your preparedness or your closeness with God, your, your relationship with God, you can't give that to anybody else. You can live it in front of them. You can preach. You yes, can sir. pray for them. You yes, can sir. lay hands on them. You can do everything. Just like tonight, we can do and talk about this. Yes. But people have to want it themselves. Yes. And, and to me, that's the big concern right now is, is my heart breaks. You know, I'm... I'm I, I, I am not old, Pastor Shane. I'm 76, and some people think they're old when they get 70. But for some reason, uh, I'm just not letting that old man in. Uh, I'm deciding to stay young in my insides. I mean, physically, I've lived, and I'm aged. I, I, I don't deny that. But I just believe there's a quickening, there's a moving of the Holy Ghost. As you had this experience, when it was at, back in 2005, 
Yes, actually there's a process of about 2005 to 2009 just walking it all out. Mm. Yeah. Well, see, and God used you though that one night. Yes. God just supernaturally moved in your church service. And see, um, and again, I, I say this, and I, I don't mean to be critical, and I don't need to be apologizing either, I guess, but, you know, we're, people come to church and, and they say we're having church from you know, let's say 7 to 8.15, or we're having church mm-hmm. from 7 to 8. Well, that's okay, but what, do we, what, what point of that hour are we going to give to God? Right. Uh, and, and what if something happens like happened in your service at the end when the spirit of prophecy came on you and you begin to prophesy? We need to make room for the Holy Spirit to move in our services today. And I believe, I believe that's what God is wanting us to do. I believe He's wanting us, and that's one reason why you're here tonight. You're well, here. Look at, look at Paul. I mean, we love this verse. For I did not come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom, but with the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I really do believe that was Paul's formula for the, for the things that we're called to walk in. That night began with me. It began with one word, Pastor. That's what's amazing to me. When I look back at this journey, I'm still traveling this journey right now, in addition to pastoring, in addition to the other things the Lord's called me to do. I'm still, travel- I'm still walking this journey out right now. It's been uh, uh, over 10 years now, still walking this out. Wow. But what's that great Chronicles verse? You know, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro the whole earth, looking for someone somewhere whose heart is perfect toward him, that he might show himself strong on our behalf. I believe God is still in the business of showing up and showing mm. off big time. Mm. He wants to do this mm. in the lives of individuals. And I don't pastor a mega church. I mean, where's Mason City, Iowa? You know, it's just this <laughs> little place out there, just a little church out there. But God does powerful things. And he did it with Moses and he did it with David and he did it with Gideon. And look at all these men and women that he used to just turn the tide of history. And it wasn't thousands. It wasn't tens of thousands. It was one surrendered heart. And he moved on their heart, gave them a word, gave them a direction. They took steps two, three, four, and five. And before you knew it, what did the disciples do? They turned the world upside down. Well, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about what you're saying, and my heart is just overflowing with knowing that I'm craving and I'm crying once again to see. I'm not looking for physical manifestations of people moving or shaking or something. That's okay. But I'm talking about what you had to happen to you that transformed your life. And I've had those transformations in my life. And and here's someone saying, I preached this message similarly back last year. This is so what the Lord wants us to see. This is the end time message. No one can catch, no one can watch for you either. We must wait and watch for ourselves. And that's another good point that that what you're saying is uh, your preparedness can't be for someone else. And and then this person saying, or Deborah, she's saying uh, that she believes the Lord needs you for the end or me for the end time message. And, And, you know, I don't feel like I'm called to be a prophet or anything like that, but I got an urge, I got a stir in me that, you know, uh, Pastor Shane, I actually thought, uh, somewhere around 70, I'd be living in Florida mm-hmm. and probably just preaching uh, 
every now and then. But here I am, 76, and we we're, we got experience life ministries here, and, and we're expanding it and just praying and believing God to provide with the finances so that we can go all over the world. And where if something breaks out right here in this room, and you know you said something a minute ago that really resonates with me, and I know some people don't understand this, but everything's not in the mega church. No. And things, you know, it doesn't have to be a mega church right. for the power of God to be right. operating. Jesus met the woman at the well. And when he met the woman at the well, there's one person. And look yes. how she ran to the city after her life was touched. And so uh, I think sometimes people get a per perception or perceive, well, if we got big numbers, God's there. Big numbers doesn't necessarily mean God is there. And what I'm encouraging people, and the reason why I did what I did, uh, I let another pastor have our big building. I showed you that yes. big building yes. we built, a $7 million building that, that we built. But I don't, I, 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 and I met with the pastor of that church one day last week, and, and, and they've, got the, um, they've got the loans now and the big mm. payments and, and everything. And I looked at him and I said to him, I said, I have not had one sad day since you took over the, the, the church. I said, I, I have not had one sad day. I have not had one bit of pressure about making the 30-something thousand dollar a month oh, payment yes. uh, every month. And then that's not included including the, the $5,000 and more a month utility bill, not, not counting the staff and not in counting the, the, all the stuff. And I said, I've not had one sad day, but I've been able to give my time to the Holy Ghost and to press in. And you know what, Pastor Shane? I believe God brought you here as just another shot in the arm for me. Amen. If nobody else in the audience, which I know it is, but the Bible says in Romans 8 and 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised Christ from from the dead shall also yes. quicken Quick your mortal you. bodies. Amen. So I'm believing for the quickening. I'm believing that this half of the church that that uh, Catherine Kuhlman, this this resonates inside of me. It stirs me. It, it just it just does something for me that that something's got to change. What do we what do we have to do to bring the change to get this other half to wake up? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that's always interesting to me is this, is in, in the Lord's calculator, subtraction is what creates addition. And most people don't understand any of that type of thinking. But we, of course, saw Gideon's army go from, what, 30,000 down to 300 before they could do anything. We saw, what was it, in the end of the book of John, 500 people witnessed the resurrection, but we had to go down to 120 in the upper room. And I think a poor, one of the most amazing examples is when Jesus is dealing with raising the, the father's daughter from the dead, they're all in the room, and the Bible said he had to clear the room and get it down to just the few Peter, James, and John in order to, for the miraculous to happen. So there, there, there are ample, and I, again, I am not, you know, I don't want to be beating up on any particular anything because they might be called of God to do something I'm not called to do, but I do know this, there is not power in numbers when it comes to God. Well, that's, that was, you know... Um... We, my, my son and I went somewhere today, and, and when we did, and we drove up, and I, of course, you know, I knew what we were going to do, but, but in my mind, this was going through my mind as we drove up, and I can see myself now, and I never said anything to him, and he got out of the car, and we walked in this business place, but 
I was thinking about what we're talking about here tonight, that it doesn't have to be big. Mm. God is the big. He's the big. And if we promote the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the great I Am, and we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, these other things shall be added unto you. And so something is, is, is shaking me. Pastor Shane, something is shaking me, something is stirring me to do what I'm doing instead of retiring, instead of quitting. I, I just want to see people awaken. You know, the Bible said, Wherefore he saith, Awake gal that sleep and rise from the dead, yes. seeing that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And I'm praying for a redeeming of the time for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And we're all already overtime already and so uh, uh, I, I tell you for you to be here I just wish we had another hour to talk because you intrigue me you excite me you Praise stir God. me you're younger than me and and I, I like to see a person that's younger than me with fire because so many today you know so many younger ones today is again without slamming or hurting it seems like that They'd rather wear a ball cap and a mm -hmm. t-shirt to church and holes in their pants and, and love you men that do that. I love you. God bless you. I, I, I know that God doesn't care what kind of pants you wear. And if you wear a ball cap, you're not going to start, start the anointing. But you know, I just want to see the power and the presence of God so strong. And, and, and Pastor Shane, would you just close this out with, with praying over people that somehow that this, this preparedness that will wake up and say, I need extra oil. I don't yes. need just enough for right now. Yes. I, I need to be prepared. Yes. Would you pray with our audience and believe will, God and, and, for and, a supernatural and I encounter? I want to thank you for, for, for this time tonight. I know the viewers can't see everything, but this is a top-notch setup in here, viewer. This, these guys know what they're doing here. They're not playing games. And they are taking this message around. And, and you said you thank God for the younger but I thank God for the older pastors. Thank you. Where are the Caleb's who at the age of 80 are saying, now give me my mountain. So there are things to be done there, things to be established, things to be acquired and accessed even at that age. But us younger guys, we're looking for that. And so I knew that when we heard you down in Gatlinburg. So that blessed us. But yeah, this is a ministry to hook up with. It's not going to steer you wrong. I want to do what Pastor said. I want to pray for those of you that are watching tonight, not just watching tonight, but that will ultimately watch this even in the months and the years to come. Because you know what? We're both pastors here tonight. He's been in the ministry 60 years. Yes, sir. Is that right? And yes. I've been in it 30 years. This is 90 years combined experience tonight, almost a century of experience. And we're telling you tonight, you need to be prepared. You've got to be ready. You've got to pour yourself into that word and you've got to spend time with God. And you, it's not going to happen by accident. It's intentional. The Bible says that uh, uh, you'll not be ashamed if you rightly divide the word of truth. And, and if you get into that word and you apply that word correctly and you're not moved by what you see, hear, and feel. So I want to encourage you tonight to watch mm. for your word mm. from God. Sometimes it's one word and it leads to many. Or like I had this experience in my life and other, others have shared this. Pastor shared this tonight. But I'm going to pray this over you right now. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you might be quickened in your mortal body. I pray that the eyes of your understanding might be opened. I pray that you might know the inheritance that God has placed in front of you. My prayer for you tonight is that tonight is the last night of the boring old you. It's done. You're going to start looking for those words from God. You're going to start believing for those gushers in your life. 
I'm telling you, if God can use an Iowa boy from the cornfields that nobody's known, if he puts me in a city where Catherine Coleman ministered to bring these truths out decades later, look what God can do with anybody. He has no respect of persons. So my prayer for you tonight is that you would wake up and you would shake off, just shake off all that drowsiness, wipe the sleep from your eyes, get your lamp cleaned up, get it filled with oil. That's the anointing of God. Get that anointing in your life, that burden-removing, oh, yoke-destroying power of God thank in your life. You, Jesus. And it's not just enough to have enough for today. You've got to have enough for tomorrow. Thank you, you Jesus. You've got to have it stored up. Thank you, Jesus. You've got to have it stored up. And that's my prayer for you tonight, that you'll be prepared and you'll be ready. Because, dear friend, our prayer for you tonight is that when the Lord comes, and He's coming, and everything around us is mm. proving that His return is very, very... Events in Israel, events in our government, worldwide... The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again, and he's closer today than he was yesterday. And when that trumpet sounds and the sound of our Lord comes, you will not be sitting there saying, I'm not ready. Amen. But you'll be Amen. ready, Amen. and you'll find heaven as your home in Jesus' name. Wow. Wow. I'm so touched. I'm so moved by the Holy Spirit. I know this was a God-ordained night. Uh, Danielle or Josh, whoever is uh, running this part of the Thing back in the control room. Put up the books with the website one more time. Um, and if you'll put the books on the screen one more time so people can see these books that, that uh, Pastor Shane has written. And I'm reading on page 216 out of the Radio Chapel years. And just hold that up there for a minute. And on page 216, and it says, In telling of this story, these timeless sermons, these timeless sermons, listen to that, these timeless sermons, and messages now breathe new life once again. Whenever this account is read or shared, Catherine's sermons are preached again. Every time someone's heart is stirred or life is impacted or changed, she speaks again. In reality, Catherine Kuhlman's evangelistic crusade never ended. They simply continue on in a much different way. Even though the speaker may die, their words never quit speaking. Wow, that's powerful. That is that is so powerful. Yeah. I, I pray that you will get these books and read these books. As I said, as I picked this one up, uh, he, he was so kind. He, he sent them to me, I think by UPS uh, or USPS, one or the other, I don't remember. And, and I started reading it and, and these sermons in here begin to impact me of what Catherine Kuhlman had to say. Back in 1939, 1939, this is 2019. And what she said in uh, uh, 1939 is actually more relevant today than it was the it day when she was preaching it. And in this book, Prophetic Messages for the End Time, uh, I'm telling you, these books will stir your heart. They will change your life. And, and, and Pastor, those are on Amazon too. Many people like to download the digital you know, sometimes the digital oh, I, I was going to ask Yeah, yeah, you. yeah. They're on Amazon, too. Some people want to get the book the next day. Amazon's faster than me. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of people get the digital copies, read them on planes, read them everywhere where they take them. They're all available. I, I just pray it blesses people. Well, thank you for, for the two books. Thank My you. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, I don't feel like our connection is over. I know you'll be going back to Iowa, but sure. I don't feel like our connection is over. I don't know what it's going to be. Sure. But I, I just feel like there's a divine connection. You know, uh, we didn't talk in Gatlinburg in that 
comforts much, but um, God brought you to well, we've Texas. We've talked a lot here. We've talked a lot here, <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I just am so thankful that God put you in my life, and I don't take this, I don't take this connection lightly. You know, divine appointments and divine connections that God gives me in my life, and I know you, uh, your life as well. I can look back Pastor Shang, and see that every divine connection, not just a connection, not somebody God just, that somebody introduced me to, but a divine connection. I know God plans those, right. and they didn't just happen, but God knew them before the foundation of the world. So he Amen. knew we would meet, so he knows what's ahead. So who knows? You may be here, and when this revival breaks out here, you may come from Iowa and help me, and we may go night after night. Who, who knows? knows? Who knows? Uh, uh, we used to back in the tent days, and uh, back in the convention centers, we used to go night after night, so who knows? Well, anyway, God bless you. Thank you, Thank you for being here. Here, and I just pray uh, blessings on your church and your ministry. And uh, when you get back, maybe we'll Skype on and do a live one by Skype again to do part two of this. Uh, you know where I'm at. I do. Well, I want to thank all of you that are viewing this evening and uh, share this. You that are watching on um, uh, you that are watching on Facebook, share it on your page if you hadn't already. Put it on your page, and this way other people can see this, because I feel like the subject matter that we uh, had tonight, the end times, Catherine Kuhlman's messages, we're not uh, glorifying a woman. She was a woman that, had, that hurt, that had problems, that had situations, but she stuck it out. She went through some really hard times, but after her hard times, she become greater than ever before in the ministry, and here we are. Uh, she died in the 70s. Yes. And here we are 40 years, 40 later, years later talking about this anointed woman of God that's still changing people's life. And as I read these books, the anointing of God came all over me as I was reading this. Could could kept me awake one night I was reading it. Anyway, uh, we got to get out of here. I love you. God bless you. And why don't you send us an offering to help us? I won't talk about it tonight, but if you uh, care about us, love us, and want to support us, and you that do, we appreciate you that do. God bless